try and finish this little series that we've been doing on just some of the practical aspects of walking in grace as a follower of Jesus. And so it isn't just a case of, um, you know, grace means you can do whatever you want because it doesn't. Grace is God's favour towards us. Our response is one of love and faith in what Jesus has done. But there's also some practical aspects of being a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus says things like uh, in John 14 and in John 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He wasn't, now I've gone completely. Hello. No, sounds like I've gone completely. So long as people can hear, it's, I'm happy. Um, and so Jesus says, no, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you're a real follower of me, you will obey what I ask you to do. And he wasn't talking about obeying a whole set of religious rules. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was actually talking about activating faith and, and, and responding in faith to what he's called us to do. And he's actually said, if you believe in me, you will do the very things that I have been doing. You will be able to ask the Father for anything and he will answer you. Right? So it's an exciting prospect to think, man, if I just follow what Jesus has asked me to do, I can be a world changer. I can see things around me dramatically change because it's Jesus who's going to flow through me. How many of you, you've heard verses like, um, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me? Who's heard that verse? Who quotes it over your life? Do you know the context? You see, that's the thing. Very often we take verses like that of, you know, my God will supply all my needs. And we take little verses, we cherry pick things, and we say, you know, that's, that's for me, but we don't look at the context because there's a context into which those verses are written that help us understand how we can then lay claim to making statements like that. My God will supply all my needs. What's the context? I will be generous in sowing into the kingdom for the sake of the gospel. And in that context... God says, I will supply everything you need. It's not like a, you've earned now this. It's No, it's, it's a natural flow from heaven of the grace of God, but you actually access it by faith. What's your act of faith? I'm going to trust God to provide. But there's a need out there that I want to meet. He's blessed me financially. I want to bless others and I want to sow into the kingdom and so we can lay claim to saying things like, hey, God is going to supply everything I need. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the, in the world. What's the context? The context is that I submit to the lordship of Jesus and through faith I understand that he now dwells within me. And so, yes, greater is he, Jesus, who lives in me than anything in this world. And I can walk through life with a confidence knowing that as I'm submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, as I'm submitted to his authority in my life, his authority flows through my life. All right? So there's always a context to everything. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And people go and scream and shout at the devil, but they don't understand the context. 
Because the very phrase directly before that verse that we all quote all the time is this. Submit yourself to God. That's the context. So you have no authority in your life over any kind of demonic activity at all unless you first are submitted to the authority of God. All right? So in everything, there's always a context that we need to understand. Otherwise, we will misinterpret Scripture and then you'll misquote it. Or you may actually quote the words correctly, but you've misquoted the context and therefore your understanding of what it says and those words have no power. You understand that? Does that make sense? And so, so that, that flows directly into what we've been looking at over the last number of weeks. What is it? What are some of these practical areas that Jesus says, I want you to obey my commands. I want you to obey my teaching in these areas because it's actually going to release power and authority in your life to bring about change, not just to you, but to everyone around you. And you can begin to influence the community you're in. And so we looked at things like, um, help me, what did we look at? Being, being submissive to parents. That as parents, we need to teach our, our children how to submit. It isn't, you better do everything I say. No, what is the context? A loving family that is in unity under the federal headship of Jesus and having his authority flow into our family as we submit to him, his authority comes. There is now an umbrella of protection and provision that comes over a family. And that's where you want your kids to grow up, in that environment. Amen? How does that happen? We honour and respect our parents because they have actually been put in place by God to actually help us and raise us. We looked at obedience, submission, honouring, respect to teachers, those who have been given the charge of actually preaching and presenting the word of God in a meaningful fashion that we can understand it and then apply it to our life. So we don't say, well, I don't like what that preacher says, even though it's truth, in context. We say, well, no, nah, that's going to affect me too much, so we just disregard that. What are you doing? You are dishonouring that teacher. So we have in the book of Hebrews, for instance, obey your leaders. Right? Now if that's telling you to do something that's contrary to scripture, if they're, if they're trying to manipulate you in any way, any way at all, don't obey them. You're a fool if you do. Sorry, you're not meant to use that word. <sighs> not wise. Not wise. But you, you understand what I'm saying. And then we looked at last week. Wow, the hard one. <laughs> Wives obey your husbands. And again, understanding the context of that is that it isn't wives submit to everything your husband says. It, no, it says submit to one another. That's the context. Submit to one another as we submit to Christ. Right, And out of that honour and respect, we love. Husbands, love your wives in the same fashion that God, at Jesus loved the church, gave himself up for the church. 
And so we saw, I haven't got time to go back and teach all of this again, but we saw how, how there is absolute equality in the kingdom for men and women, for husbands and wives. And so, we, so Adam and Eve were created with this equality. God says, rule the earth. He didn't say that just to Adam. He said that to them, to Adam and Eve. They were to rule in union together. And we saw that the word for um, where God says, I'm going to make for you, Adam, a helper. That's the Hebrew word. It's two words joined together. It's Isa Kenegdo, which means equality. Isa, one who stands alongside as an equal, not as a subordinate. And Kenegdo means face to face. Again, it speaks of equality. And we have this picture of Eve nestling under the arm, under the protective arm of Adam, as Adam nestles under the protective arm of God and his authority flows to them and they exert authority on, on the earth. Where did Adam mess up? What happened? He chose to distrust what God had said. It wasn't his act of disobedience in eating the fruit that was the problem. The problem was that he chose not to believe in what God had said. And so the root of all disobedience is distrust. It's distrusting what God has said. Conversely, the root of all obedience, what makes it easy, is that we choose to trust God. So it's not... A, it's, it's not I've got to obey all this big long list of religious rules, of traditional things that you're meant to do as a Christian. No, it's actually learning how to trust in what God has said and what Jesus has declared and what he calls us to. Amen? So we're going to just try and finish. I've got three more areas, or well, two two. The overarching one, of course, on everything, and it is kind of in one of the ones that I've got as a, on the list, is that we submit to God. You know, that's a given, because without that, none of the other things work. <laughs> Amen? So I'm going to try and be really short today. Ha ha, don't laugh. All right. The, we ha I don't think we've got our list up, but number four, so number one to parents, number two to teachers of the word, number three to husbands, I was talk talking about headship. Number four is to masters. Now that might seem a bit strange. What's that got to do with us? Because we don't live with slavery in Australia. Um, but there is, a, again, a context, an understanding. Remember when this was written. It was written at a time where people had servants and even slaves. Uh, it might sound a bit weird, but I suppose the, the equivalent today is your employer. They shouldn't be treating you as a slave. <laughs> some, some people might think that's exactly how they do get treated. Um, but our place of employment is a, is a place to show honour and respect to our employer. Um, and yet we live in a society where there's this growing trend to disrespect 
people in authority, no matter what it is, including your boss, to rebel against whatever it is that they ask you to do. Um, people live with this attitude of, you know, you owe me. You better give me exactly what's due to me and more. So there's no, there's no heart of, um, of, of thankfulness to the fact that the person has given you a job. There's so, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking as a general thing. There's no one here who thinks like that, okay? Um, but you get what I'm saying. If you look at society, why is there so much rebellion? Why is there so much chaos going on? You can't point your finger and say, well, it's that person's fault. No, it's an, actually a, it's an attitude that people have in their heart. So Paul writes this in, um, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincere. Fear doesn't mean being afraid of them. It means just respect, right? honouring them. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Work hard, but not just to please your masters when they are watching. Just turn it down a little bit. I can hear it just ringing just a bit. Now, remember, Paul, Paul uses kind of examples from everyday life to teach a principle, and that's what he's about to do here. He's wanting, he's wanting to pe people to understand, man, you should honour your employer. You, you should work honestly for them. Um, and it's what we should do as Christians. Standing as examples of Jesus. Portraying his nature and his character. Right? So we're dealing with something very practical here today. He says, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Now, Paul uses the word slave here, not in the normal way, right? Because you and I are not slaves. You and I are sons and daughters, right? We're sons and daughters. You're not a slave to God. If, that, if, if you think you're a slave or even a servant, I'm a servant of God. Now, you need to change your thinking. You need to see the way that God sees you and the way that Jesus refers to you. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're a friend of God. You're an heir, you're a saint. You're not a slave at all. So, Paul uses the word slave or servant to show that we are just, we, we are, we are volunt, volunt, volunteers. <laughs> we voluntarily commit ourselves to Jesus. You know, that's what they used to do, you know, a, a slave, um, I, don't, I can't remember all of the exact way it works, but basically if a slave earned his freedom, he had a choice. He could just go off and disappear or he could choose to continue to work for that employer voluntarily, and then they would, I don't know, put a ring in their ear or do something, punch a hole in their ear or whatever, to identify the fact that this person is now free, but they've chosen to stay and keep working for that particular employer. We are volunteers in the kingdom. God's not forcing you to do anything. 
No one forces you to do something. And so Paul uses the word slave to show that we are voluntarily committed followers of Jesus, that we've given up self-rights. It's not about us. It's not about my rights. It's about the king. So we live for him. But in Paul's times, you know, servants and slaves were common. Um, and again, context is really important because what was the situation in Israel? They were under Roman occupation. So there were Roman governors, there were Roman rulers, there were Roman leaders. They brought in a bunch of Roman businessmen to change the economy, right? To, to, they brought in Roman educators for the schools and the universities. They wanted to change the culture. That's what Rome would do. And so if you, were, if you had a job, there was a high likelihood that you were actually working for someone either directly a Roman person or someone who was under the control of Rome. And so for Paul to make these comments and say, hey guys, despite the fact that we are being occupied by a, a, a militant, sometimes violent empire, I want you to honour them. Well, that, I mean, that's a challenge, eh? Even if you had a really good boss, the fact that you're living now in an occupied country, and Paul says, hey, I want you to honour and respect your masters. He says this, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What are your thoughts when you go to work every day? Are you working for that stingy, cranky boss? Or do you see it as an opportunity actually to put in honestly and see it as though you were working for Jesus? Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us, he goes on to say, for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free, and in the same way, you masters must treat your slaves right. Paul never just leaves it one-sided. He always addresses the other side. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. And he has no favourites. Folk, the way we work for our employers, as followers of Jesus reflects the way that we submit and honour God. It really is practical Christianity. It's how we shine our light in a dark world. It's, it's how we reflect the nature and the character of Jesus. Um, many of you know, you know, I've had a background in, in dentistry, I worked as a dental technician and then I did a whole lot of other stuff in dentistry, had a clinic, blah, blah, blah. But there was a period of about 12, 13 years I worked in an orthodontic clinic, uh, which was a government clinic. I worked for the South Australian Dental Service. And uh, I went into this situation as a, I'd only, I'd only been qualified for uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years or so. And I went into an environment that 
actually shocked me because where I did my initial training and worked the first seven or eight years um, uh, getting qualified, I, I, I worked in a very um, busy, very intense situation. So my working life started with working an average of around 55, 60 hours a week, sometimes way more than that. That's how I started work, and I worked like that for the first eight years. That, that instills in you a certain work ethic. And so I went, I changed jobs, I, I got this position in this, in this government department, and I was confronted by the guys who worked there who made it very, very clear to me that they work on a go-slow program, right? So it's the minimum. You do the absolute minimum that you can get away with. You scam the system as much as you possibly can. You stretch work out as much as you can so you can make it look as though you're working extra hours so that you can get paid time off later. I mean, they had such a system in place, it was just... I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And so they had a particular quantity of work that, you, that they made clear that you, you produce this every week and you never, ever, ever go beyond that. I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that with a clear conscience. Apart from the fact that I was a, a, a Christian and I wanted to represent Jesus where I went and I actually saw this. What a great, this is a brand new opportunity to actually show people what Jesus is like. And um, I, I just couldn't buckle to their pressures, to their demands. And um, so once I found my feet, within a month, within four weeks of, of working there, in an area which I didn't have hardly any experience at all, I was producing 70% more than they were within four weeks. Within 18 months... I got promoted to a position above them. Eventually I managed that whole laboratory. I tell you what, they hated it. <laughs> they hated me and they schemed and plotted and set me up a number of times, did, did some pretty nasty things to me. I mean, one day I walked out, I had two of my tyres slashed um, they would, they would uh, sabotage work, they would spread rumours and do a whole lot of pretty nasty kind of stuff. That's not the way you work for someone. And so on one side, I really copped it from these guys. I mean, they made life almost impossible. On the other side... People in that environment, in that workplace, began to notice something different. And they began to see something different. And on a quite a regular basis, when people were in trouble, when they were going through a hard time, when they were sick, who did they come and talk to? And I had such opportunities to pray for people, to speak about Jesus, to to just share the goodness of God in, in what was an immediate hostile situation and environment. 
And yet Jesus was still able to break into many, many situations in people's lives. And I think that's what Paul's talking about. Is that even though you may have... My, thankfully, my bosses were, were good guys. But some of these other people who were immediately above me for a period of time were not. And even in that environment, as you continue to honour Jesus and don't back down and don't compromise godly principles, right? not, a, not obeying religious rules, simply living with the heart of God, following Jesus as our example, man, you can have an impact. And that's, that's what Paul was getting at. Work for your employers in a way that you are working for Jesus and watch the change that can happen. See, it's not all about making sure all of our theology is perfect and all our doctrine is in line and, you know, we're all able to quote certain scriptures and, you know, proudly say we are on a foundation of grace. No, it's actually practical Christianity of how do we actually change the community that we're in and it's these kinds of things it's these kinds of things Paul says this in Colossians and it's really the, the same kind of sentiment Colossians 3 uh, from verse 22, he says, You slaves must obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. What's he saying? When they're not watching as well. You ever seen that happen in a workplace? <laughs> People are as lazy as anything, you know, acting the fool, and as soon as the boss walks, walks past, <coughs> it's frantic activity. Obey them willingly because of your reverent fear of the Lord, your honour, your worship of God. The way you work from... Uh, this, this, I saw this the other day when I was reading this again, looking at what the Greek words mean there. Um, working for your... The way that you work for your boss is an act of worship to God. That, that, that changes the whole ballgame. The way that you work for your employer is an act of worship to God. So don't look at them. Look up. Work hard and cheerfully <laughs> at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and the master you are serving is Christ. That's a powerful, powerful verse. So, so when we're honest in the way that we work for them, when we, when we honour them by how we work, it's, it's practical Christianity. It's where the rubber hits the road. And that's what it is to be an obedient follower of Jesus. It's, 
it can sometimes cost you something too, because it's not always easy. It wasn't easy to actually endure all the rubbish that these guys were doing to me. It cost a lot of money to buy tyres, you know. Um, sometimes it requires us to ch just have a bit of a change in attitude, change in our heart, change in the way that we think things through, the way that we actually do things. Um, and I think one of the great things it teaches us is it teaches us to rely on the grace of God. Because without it, you won't actually survive. You won't get through. We need the grace of God. And so every day there's this reliance more and more on God. God, I need you in this work environment for me to actually survive. But I want to be more than just a survivor I want to be a conqueror. I want to be an overcomer. I want to be an influencer in that situation. Amen? It will produce fruit. Who's been watching the... Um, oh, maybe I shouldn't go there. Don't go there. Okay, I won't go there. Come on. No, I'm getting in too much trouble. But it's just funny that it's on right when I'm talking about this because... The fifth area that Paul talks about and Jesus talks about in terms of our submission to what he's called us to do is to obey government. And it's been a pretty you know, tumultuous week, few days in the United States at the moment. And I don't, everyone's got their own opinion on that anyway. I'm not going to say a word. Okay, Yvonne, is that right? But whatever you think of any leader or any government, the fact is that they're in place, they're meant to be in place for the good of the society, for, for, for our good, um, to help bring order, to help protect the vulnerable. Um, and and you, know, you may want to argue certain governments do that well and others don't do that well, whatever. But our, our role as believers is not to revolt, it's not to protest, it's not to burn down buildings and all riot in the streets and all the rest of it. Our, our, our role is to pray for them. Again, remember the, remember the context that Paul and Peter and Jesus is speaking into. Israel is under domination from Rome. They don't have freedoms. They've, they've lost most of their civil liberties. Um, business have... I mean, think about it. I mean, this, businesses have had to close. Their taxes have gone from, you know, maybe 5% to 70% overnight. They've lost opportunity. They've, they've lost control of their future. All because a government comes into place. And Jesus doesn't say, right, let's get the swords, guys, and let's make some bombs, and let's get rid of these guys. He doesn't lead a revolt against them. Paul doesn't do that. Peter doesn't say we should do that, even though he has a moment where they're coming to arrest Jesus and he kind of slices off a guy's ear. 
but he doesn't follow that up and say, no, let's, let's build an army so that we can get rid of these Romans from occupying our country. Let's get our freedom back. So Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and he says this. Remind your people. So he's talking to the church. Right? So he's not making this as a statement to every, everyone. Has to, he's saying, guys, we are the ones who have to set an example for everyone else. So he says to the church, remind your people to submit to the governors, to the government and its officers. There should be, they should be obedient and always ready to do what is good. They must not speak evil of anyone and they must avoid quarrelling. The context? Your government. <laughs> How many of you know that's not always an easy thing to do? Huh? It's, not always, it's not always an easy thing not to speak evil about someone who you think is evil. Hello? <laughs> and you know, good old Aussies, as we are, the kind of very submissive kind of people that Australians are, you guys will discover this more and more and more. I guess this is a, a trend worldwide anyway, but particularly here in Australia, People make decisions regarding governments according, according to how it affects their wallet. It happens all the time. And so rather than look at the broader picture, it's always, how does this affect me and my money? And, and that's the way that, that people often make decisions. And so here you've got a situation in Israel where, man, they have been affected big time economically. The tribute and the taxes that had to go to Roman governors was huge. They were losing everything. And in that context, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I want the church to be an example in this. I want you to honour the governors, those in charge, and I don't want you to say one word against them. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I find that almost impossible. That's a real challenge for us. But what do we do? Do we just, okay, this is an example. Do we actually submit to what Jesus says and follow the teaching of our leaders as they teach truth? Or do we say, nah? So we've done a couple of things here. One we have dishonoured those tasked with the job of teaching truth. Number two, we've actually made a decision, I'm not going to trust God on this. Hello? Can you see how that subtly comes in? When we make decisions against what the word of God says, what we're actually doing is saying, God, I'm not going to trust you that, on that issue. Sorry, I'm not meant to 
smile. Just be happy. I need a joke. <laughs> but can you imagine, can you imagine, folks, just, just in, in, in Australia, let, let's just bring it down to Perth. Can you imagine what it would be like, the change in the atmosphere, um, if every believer simply did that one thing? That if every week, and whatever you think about the current Western Australian government, and this is a challenge for me as well, but if every week um, letters of support, letters of declaration, of prophetic declarations over the leaders, a gathering of people together going into Parliament House and praying for leaders. Can you imagine if every week and nothing but positive comments get said. Doesn't mean you ignore stuff that's wrong. There's a way of actually dealing with that. But if you did it from a foundation of support and prayer, how different would things be? Paul goes on, he says, instead we need to be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. I think that's a little bit of a sarcastic little kind of dig there, Paul saying, hey, some of these guys are actually stupid. <laughs> but, but, we were misled by others and became slaves to many wicked desires and evil pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy. We hated others and they hated us. But then, he says, but then God, our Saviour, showed kindness and love to us. What's he saying? Everything about us changed. Our attitudes towards those people changed. Because of God's love for us. Because he came in and indwelt our life and regenerated our spirit and changed the very nature that we carry. So our example, our conversation, our prayer, everything about it, for those who even hate us and may be doing us harm, has now changed. How is Jesus able to say, say love your enemies and pray for them? He knows he's got guys who are out to kill him. And he says, love them. So you may not like the government that you have. You may not like particular politicians. You may be very vocal in what you say about them. But Paul actually gives us some instruction in here on how we need to kind of communicate, how we need to actually deal with that. Once we were no different than any other unbeliever. Selfish, hateful, full of rebellion. But something happened. We found Jesus. And our attitudes and hearts changed. Instead of rebellion, there is honour and respect. Instead of hatred, there is love and acceptance. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.13. He says, For the Lord's sake, accept all authority. 
the king as head of state and the officials he has appointed. Now, folk, there is a reality that, that there is good and there's bad government. There's good and bad kings. There's good and bad leaders, good and bad rulers. And there is a place to... I'll be careful using the word, but there is a place to protest. But there is a way to do that, peacefully and with a logical argument. Not just ranting and raving and screaming. Um, it's, it's, it's not an excuse to go out and break the law to prove a point. As you know, Victoria's been locked down, severely locked down for quite a period of time. They're lifting some of those restrictions. But if one of, a, a friend of mine who leads a, a little church over there in, in, in uh, one of the country areas in Ballarat, I mean, he's, when, they, when they just locked down everything um, and they said, well, you're allowed to actually go out and exercise for, for an hour in, in the open. So he, he took his little church and made sure they were wearing some gym clothes not trying to be, you know, sneaky, but was. And they would just go, he would take his guitar and they would just go out and worship in the park. He wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to submit to something that was wrong because there were a lot of areas where certain businesses or certain groups of people could do things. But I want to tell you, have a look at what was going on behind the scenes. Churches were getting shut down all over the place. And it's still the case in many areas. Don't tell me that... I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I want to tell you, there's been real discrimination against the church during this, this year. A lot of it. And somewhere you do have to take a stand, but you've got to do it wisely, and you've got to do it within the law... You've got to do it with wisdom, do it peacefully, and you actually have to have a proper convincing argument that you can present properly. So there is a place to... Pro we, sh we should stand up and be vocal about the situation with abortions in this country. We should. But standing up with a placard protesting and screaming at someone doesn't... That doesn't help. Doing things wisely. Going to the people who can actually change the law. That's what we need to do. And we need to do that properly. And so there certainly is a, a, a place to stand up and be vocal and say something. And Paul wasn't against that. Jesus wasn't against that. But what he was saying is, do it from a platform where you at least show respect and honour and you're at least willing to... If you're not willing to pray for someone that you want to see change come to, you have no right to actually even speak into that situation. I don't know why I'm just being so practical and kind of down to earth. We need to hear these kinds of things. So Paul says this in 1 Timothy 2, let me close with this. He says, I urge then first of all that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness 
and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I think it's very powerful, very interesting that Paul closes off that little stanza of verses with that statement. God, this pleases God who wants. Why does he include a salvation message in imploring us to pray for governments and leaders? Because he knows that as we do, people will see our example and over time be drawn to what we carry and the gospel goes out and people will be saved. Amen? What is the root of all disobedience? We distrust in what God has said. What is the root of all obedience that makes it so easy? We trust in what God has said. How many of us trust that if we were to actually pray for governments, even though we may hate them, that God can bring about change? And that change may not be what you want. That change may not be the ousting of a particular government. Maybe that change is a change of heart and attitude within that government. Amen? You see, folks, we have opportunity to release the kingdom in so many areas that we perhaps even haven't even thought about. You know, we know the obvious ones. If someone's sick, let's pray for them. But what about bringing a cultural shift in the atmosphere of where you work? Bringing the atmosphere of the kingdom by simply working honestly. Changing the attitude of a politician by being positive towards them and offering to pray for them rather than constantly attacking and telling them all the things they're doing wrong. See, those things can really make a difference. That's kingdom heart. That's kingdom culture invading this world to make a difference. Amen? So, Lord, help us. (laughs) Lord, help every single one of us because we need your help to actually live out practical Christianity. Amen? All right. Bless you guys. Wednesday night. Um, at our place. We're going to continue with our little study in Colossians. So read it um, and come along with questions, comments, and we'll work our way through that book. It's a very exciting um, book to look at. All right, bless you.